So, so let's talk about this thing of grace-gifted members this morning for just a few minutes. As we get through this passage, we're going to see, and in your notes, you can just kind of follow along uh, if you want to. Uh, the first thing that we're going to see this morning is that the gifts of God are given according to the grace of God. The gifts of God are given according to the grace of God. And, and Paul says in verse 3, he says, For I say, through the grace given unto me. And, and, and so as Paul is speaking these words, and, and, and these words are being written and, and now read to the Roman believers, he does say that I'm speaking, I'm saying what I'm about to say through the grace of God, which is given to me. And, and so most of you in this room understand that God's grace is God's unmerited favor. In other words, God's grace is getting something that we don't deserve. That's what grace is. Uh, Colin, when he, when he taught last week, he taught about mercy. Mercy, God's mercy, is not getting what we do deserve. And then we're all sinners before God, and, and all we really deserve is God's judgment, and the, and the end result of that judgment is death and hell. That's, that's what we deserve, but because of God's mercy, we don't get that. But grace is getting things that we don't deserve, and, and as we look at this list, we're going to see, man, God, God saved us, he showed us his mercy, but then he also gave us his grace. He, he gave us his unmerited favor, and, and as a result of his unmerited favor, he's given us these gifts, these spiritual gifts, where we can minister to one another and serve the body, okay? And, and so Paul understood that he was a recipient not only of God's mercy, but he was a recipient of God's grace. Look at, look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, and it'll, it'll be on the screen, verses 12 to 14. Again, Paul writing to Timothy, his, his disciple, his son in the faith, and he says in verse 12, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, and that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained what? mercy, because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And, and many of us know Paul's testimony before he met Christ. He was a religious zealot, man. He was about, uh, you know, the Jewish traditions and the customs. He was a Pharisee. He also imprisoned Christians through his, through his acts. Many people were, were killed because of the cause of Christ. And he says, listen, God, obtain, I obtained mercy from Jesus Christ because I did those things ignorantly in unbelief. And then look at verse 14, and he says, The grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul not only experienced God's mercy, but he experienced God's grace. He, he experienced God's unmerited favor, and, and how exceedingly abundant was God's grace in Paul's life? Well, it was exceeding and abundant because God gave him gifts to serve the body of Christ. Uh, how abundant was this grace of God in Paul's life? Well, as you study the scriptures, you see that Paul, on two different occasions, tells you what his giftedness, his giftedness was in Christ Jesus. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 7, Paul says, Whereunto I am ordained, here we go, a preacher and an apostle, I speak the truth in Christ, I lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. And so Paul says, God's grace was shed on my life exceedingly abundantly. And here's the result of God's grace on my life. I'm a preacher, I'm an apostle, 
I'm a teacher of the Gentiles. He says it again in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 11, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. He even goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 10, he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace was bestowed upon me, not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which is with me. Here's the point. Paul said God's grace is the reason that he was a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. And he says, it's by the grace of God that I am what I am. And because of God's grace, it motivated me to labor more abundantly. In other words, God's abundant grace in our life should result in abundant labor by the grace of God. God, I'll say it again, and I know that's not a blank. God's abundant grace in our life should result in abundant labor by the grace of God. Why? Because by His grace, He's given us gifts, and those gifts are to be used for a very specific purpose and for a very specific reason. And so as Paul is writing, he's, he's orating, and the book of Romans is being dictated, he says, I'm saying unto you by the grace of God, even his, his use by God to bring us the scripture is because of God's grace. Does that make sense? He, he, he put himself in a position to labor abundantly because of God's exceeding grace in his life. Okay, so you say, well, that's Paul. I mean, Paul's different than me. Paul's better than me. Uh, no, because he also says in verse 6, and, it, and you'll need to just look in the Bible, Romans 12 and verse 6, having then differing gifts according to the grace that's given to who? To, to us. So I just want to make the point that the same grace that Paul got is the same grace that you got. And it's the same grace that I got. In other words, God's grace is given to all people who have responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and so the point is, because of God's grace in your life and in my life, God has also given us gifts that we are to labor abundantly with. Okay? And, and so here's the key in your notes. Look, if you, here's the key. This is the blank. Okay? These blanks sometimes bother me, man, because y'all get so used to the blank. And if I say something that's not a blank, you, you know... You, don't, you miss it. Here's the point. Look, if, we, if you've experienced the grace of God in your life, settle the issue. You have the gifts of God. If you've received the gospel, you, you've been born again, you've received God's unmerited favor in your life, by default, you have the gifts of God. And so... And so a Bible student, a Christian that wants to grow is going to ask the obvious question, what are the gifts that God has given me? How, how is this grace being measured out abundantly in my life? What are these gifts that God has given me to use for the ministry's sake? Okay, And, and so we'll transition to this second point because this second point is based on verse 3. And, and here's the point, and then I'll read the verse. The gifts of God... Number one, they're according to grace, but number two, the gifts of God should change our thinking. We, we have to change our mind concerning spiritual gifts. We have to change our mind concerning the gifts of God. Now look at verse three. 
Paul says, For I say through the grace that's given to me, to every man that is among you. Everybody. Paul's talking to everybody. Here we go. Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Okay, and so the, 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 number one, we need to know that because of God's grace, we've been given gifts. What are the gifts? We'll get there in a second. Hang on. But, but we need to know that it's because of his grace that he's given us these gifts. And the second thing we need to know is because of his grace and these gifts, we need to change the way that we think about these gifts. Paul warns us, listen, can I just tell you, it's a humbling thing, man, that God would give us anything. That's a sobering thought. That's just a sobering, humbling thought. How many, okay, number one, anybody in the room that's like me that, that has trouble receiving gifts? Okay, you got no problem giving gifts, but like receive, when somebody shows up and gives you a gift, you get awkward. You know what I'm talking about? Now, some of us are awkward anyways, but especially... In the context of like giving, you know, receiving gifts, man, I, I, I cannot personally, that's just a hard thing for me. Not because, not because I don't appreciate it and don't like it. It's just really tense and awkward for me. And so, you know, my wife is like, well, what do you want for Christmas? What do you want for your birthday? The answer is always the same. Nothing. It's always nothing. Why? Because, because I, I struggle receiving gifts, man. And it, 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 it's a sobering thought, right? It's a humbling thought. And, uh, and maybe I think too highly of myself or, or, or whatnot. I, I have issues. Okay, you do too, so don't worry about it. <laughs> but I'm telling you, concerning God, it's sobering that God would give us these gifts. These gifts are given by his unmerited favor. They're utilized by faith. And they're to be exercised in humility. Because, because they're not our gifts. They're God's. So that should sober us, man. That should humble us. So here's the key in your notes. Look, spiritual gifts are not for a believer to boast about. We can't, if we're going to boast, we're going to have to boast in who? The Lord, because he's the one that gave us the gift. And again, we'll get into the gifts in a second. But listen, can I just tell you, because you're saved today, you have the gifts. And because you have the gifts, it should humble you because they're not your gifts. The Christ gifts. We, we have nothing to boast about, you know, and there is a danger, look, for, for any of us, pride uh, is, is a problem for all sinful beings and, and, and people. Listen, uh, you know, we could possibly think too highly of ourselves as it relates to our giftedness in the body of Christ. Uh, Proverbs 25 and verse 14 says, whoso boasteth himself of a false gift is like clouds and wind without rain. Man, boasting of a, of a gift that you don't have or boasting of yourself thinking that you're the one that has the gift instead of Christ, man, it, it may make a lot of noise. It, there might be a lot of flash, but there's no rain. There's no refreshing. There's no watering. There's no fruit that comes as a result, right? Man, in Acts chapter 5, uh, Gamaliel is, is speaking uh, concerning the disciples of Christ, and he's using this story as an example. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 36, Gamaliel says, uh, For before these days rose up uh, Theodos, boasting himself to be somebody, to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves, 
Well, here's, here's what happened to that guy that boasted about himself. Who was slain? And all, as many as obeyed him, were scattered and brought to what? To not. It's not smart to boast, right? It, 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 Paul is saying, listen, don't think more highly than you ought to think concerning these spiritual gifts. Galatians 6 and verse 3 says, If a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. And, and can I just tell you, without Christ, every one of us are we're nothing. Without Christ, we are nothing. And with Christ, well, we are his. And he's everything. He, he enables us. He empowers us. And so, and so here's the next key in your notes. Spiritual gifts should sober our minds. They should sober our minds. We shouldn't boast about our spiritual gifts. It should sober our minds. And, and when we study this out biblically, to think soberly about something is to be in the right mind, not to be given over to lust or passion, not to be given under control or influence of anything or any way of thinking. It means self-control. It means, it means decency. And so, and so, again, we'll get to the, the gifts in a second, but we're setting all this up because we got to have the right mindset concerning spiritual gifts before you even know what they are. Number one, they're by the grace of God. Number two, they ought to cause us to be sober minded. You know, it's easy at any point in Christianity or spiritual maturity to think that you somehow arrived, especially when you start learning some things. God says you need to be sober-minded. You don't need to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. And, And listen, if you've learned anything, it's because God revealed it to you through his Holy Spirit. You're not even responsible for what you know. God is. God's Holy Spirit is the teacher, right? That's a humbling thought. You're not as smart as you thought you were. Come back next Sunday. I have plenty more of offensive statements that will be a blessing to you this week. You're just not as smart as what you think you are. Because it's the Spirit of God that reveals the truth of God's Word, right? It's interesting when you study this thing of soberness in the Bible. uh, You're going to land in places like Titus chapter 2. And, and, and the scripture tells young men, it says young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. And, and those of you that have been in, in, in and around CFBC for a few minutes, you know that we, we have an understanding of the scriptures that there are seven stages of spiritual growth that starts with a babe, a new person in Christ that's been born again. But then they grow to, to little children, and then they grow to children And then they grow to young men, spiritual adolescents, where they really start filling out in in, in a spiritual sense. They they begin to get handles on the Word of God. They've overcome the wicked one. Uh, They they really begin to understand the Scriptures rightly for themselves. Can I just tell you that a spiritual young man can easily fall into high-minded thinking, thinking that the gifts of God in his life are his. And he needs to be exhorted to be sober-minded. Titus chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 talks about the aged men, and, and that's kind of the end goal of spiritual growth. You have babes and little children and children and young men, and then you have fathers, then you have elders, and then you have the aged. That's the seventh level of spiritual maturity in the Bible. And, and Titus chapter 2 says, verses 1 and 2, but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be what? Be sober. You know, just as the young man has a propensity to be high-minded about his gift, can I tell you the aged spiritual man does too? 
because he's been around a minute, because he's, he spent his life serving the Lord, he's spent his life teaching the Bible, he spent his life discipling people, he is, he is like Paul the aged where he's evidenced the fruitfulness of his ministry, well, he's, he still needs to be sober-minded. He still needs to be sober. Just like the young man, just like the aged man, we have to be sober-minded. We have to sober our minds concerning spiritual gifts. And there's a couple of reasons why. There's a lot of reasons why. Uh, number one, we have an adversary. This isn't in your notes, but, but God tells us in 1 Peter 5 and verse 8 that we need to be sober and we need to be vigilant because we have an adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may de- devour. You need to be right-minded about your spiritual gifts and the ministry because there's an enemy that's already at work. And, and he is certainly focused on what he's trying to accomplish in blinding people to the gospel and limiting the reproduction of disciples in this world. We have an adversary. We have to be sober-minded. Number two, we need to be sober-minded because God's given us the ministry. And, and we go to 1 Timothy 3. This is the, the qualifications of a, a bishop or a pastor or an elder. It does say that a bishop must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober. We have a ministry. We have to be sober-minded about this thing of spiritual gifts. We need to get serious about it. We need to get serious about it. We have an enemy, and we have a ministry. And so, listen, many times in Christianity, it's easy for Christians, number one, to think too highly of themselves and their giftedness, okay? You know, sometimes that Christian will assume that the giftedness that God has given him or her is her gifts. Well, that's not true. It comes from God. Sometimes when we think too highly about our giftedness as it relates to the body of Christ, we will take honor and glory away from Christ. Instead of what Christ has done, it'll be look at what we've done. We ascribe the glory to the wrong person. If we think too highly of ourselves and our giftedness, we'll have the problem of pride, just like Lucifer, where where Lucifer saw his own beauty and, and thought, man, I look pretty good. Well, can I tell you that he was created like that? There was a creator that made him like that. And, and so he didn't ascribe the glory and the honor to whom it was due. And, and, and if we're not careful, we'll seek to exalt ourselves, and we'll seek the praise of men instead of, instead of the praise of God. So that's a danger concerning spiritual gifts. But can I also tell you that you can possibly think too low of spiritual gifts? And what I mean by that is, You may think so low of God's spiritual giftedness in your life, it will limit what God wants to do in and through your life for the glory of Christ's sake. In other words, you'll say things like, well, I'm not gifted to do that. I can't serve in that area because I'm not gifted to do that. I'm not good enough to do that. Listen, that's not sober-mindedness concerning spiritual gifts. That's not right thinking That's not biblical thinking. Can I just tell you, your spiritual giftedness is sufficient for God to use however he pleases and wherever he pleases and to whomever he pleases. In other words, when you have too low of a view of God's spiritual gift in your life, well, the deficiency is really on on you. You don't think God can use you for his glory. And that's not biblical. It's not biblical because his grace is abundant and his gifts are abundant 
in our life. And so we can think too highly of ourselves and be puffed up with pride. But let me tell you, the, the, the problem I see a lot of times in churches and in Christians, yeah, there for, for sure is that. There's a, a for sure high-mindedness. But there's also a low view of God's giftedness. So much that majority of Christians don't get involved in ministry. They don't serve. They don't do anything. Why? Because they excuse it away. Ah, that, that's not my giftedness. That, I'm not able to do that. I can't do that. Okay, well, listen, that's not sober thinking. That's not biblical thinking because God says, because of his abundant grace, you've been given gifts. So, so it's time to agree with God that you have gifts according to his grace. Well, I just don't feel like it. You know, the Bible wasn't written on the authority of how you feel. Truth is not dependent upon how you feel. Truth is not dependent upon your circumstances. And so here's the last key. And listen, this may be a tough pill to swallow for some of us. But we don't have a right to not serve the body of Christ if we're born again. We do not have the right to not serve the body of Christ if we're born again. Because you've experienced God's grace, you've been given the gifts of God to serve the body of Christ. And, and listen, that, I know, man, that one is a little bitter. I understand that. But it's right. It's a right statement. Remember verses 1 and 2. We're to be a living sacrifice. And so when do we get to choose? When I mean, listen, we, we don't get to choose to not serve the body of Christ. We don't get to choose not to use the giftedness that God has given us by His grace. We don't get to choose not to use that in the ministry. And, and, and the problem is, the problem in, in modern Christianity is the same problem in early Christianity. It, it's always the same problem. We live in the Laodicean church age. We're, in, we're the last church age uh, time period before the rapture of the church and before the tribulation. You go to Revelation chapter 3 when it talks about the Laodicean church. Laodicean Christians are only interested in one person, and it's not Jesus Christ. It's themselves. I am rich. I am increased with goods. I have need of nothing. And Jesus Christ, if you read Revelation chapter 3, is on the outside of that church knocking, trying to get in. You see, the Laodicean Christian, Christian has a problem, and the problem is not other people in the church, and the problem is not Christ himself. The problem is I. Paul warns us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. And so we have to think different. We have to think different. We have to think soberly and rightly and biblically concerning God's grace and his gifts. We have to think different. Because number three, and, and, and here's the next point, the reason we have to think different is because the gifts of God are what enable us for service. The gifts of God are what enable us for service. And, and so look at verse 4. The Bible says, for as, many, uh, for, for as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and everyone members one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, and, then, and it goes through the list of seven gifts, okay? I just want to make the point that we are one body with many members. And, and so he's writing to, you know, 
the believers at Rome. He wrote to the believers at Corinth. Yeah, there is a universal body of Christ for sure. But, but the majority of times that God deals with the church and, and with the body, he's talking about an assembly of believers. We are one body. We have many members. So I, I see a lot of different faces this morning. That means that we have many. That's good. We're one body in Christ. It also says that we're members one of another. We're members one of another. You say, well, I haven't been through the membership class. Well, okay, maybe you should. <laughs> Formalize it, but God already said so. Okay. You're members one of another. And because we're members one of another, and because we're members of the one body of Christ, we have gifts that are differing according to the grace that's given to us. Now, there's two schools of thought on this spiritual gift thing, and and looking at the time, we need another hour, but that's not going to happen. So let me give you the two schools of thought real quick. Number one, the first school of thought is kind of the traditional school of thought, that every member of the body, every member of the body of Christ has several differing gifts. Have you ever been at a church uh, that gave you like a spiritual gift survey, you bubble the dot? How'd that work out for you? I mean, I'm just asking, can't you kind of cheat? I mean, listen, man, I cheated on like, oh, did I say that? I mean, can't you kind of just make that thing say what you want it to say? I mean, honestly, you, you can kind of just bubble the dots. You kind of can tell from the question, well, if I answer this, yes, uh, it basically means I have the gift of prophecy or whatever. Okay, uh, we'll talk about that in a second. Look, the one school of thought says that every member of the body has several differing gifts. And, and, and there are scriptures to back this up. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 says there are diversities of gifts, but the same way. So you've got the Spirit of God, the same Spirit of God that I've got. You've got the same grace of God that's been bestowed upon you, the unmerited favor. But there are diversities of gifts. In other words, there are different gifts. Verse 7 says, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to to who? The select few in the body of Christ? It's given to every man. Oh, and he tells you why he gave you the Spirit. To profit with all. So your spiritual giftedness, Christian, is to be profitable to the body of Christ. You matter. You matter. Every one of you matter. Listen, the purpose, the reason, when, when the manifestation of the Spirit of God in your life becomes a reality, it brings profit to the body of Christ. Okay? So you matter. I'm telling you, you matter. Verse 8, for to one is given the spirit of the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same spirit. Okay, and he, and he kind of says in 1 Corinthians 12, well, one person has this, one person has this. Verse 12, excuse me, uh, verse 11, but all these work that one and self-same spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will, as the Spirit of God will. Okay, so the, the, the traditional view of spiritual gifts is that we all have differing gifts by the same spirit. The, the problem with that is that it would be real easy to hide behind what you don't have. In other words, well, I can't serve in that particular ministry, or I can't serve in that place, or I can't do that thing. That's just not my... No, see, you've used that excuse. I know you have. I have too, right? So that's kind of the traditional mindset, but, but let me just tell you, there is another school of thought on this, and, and here's the second point. 
And this school of thought teaches that every member of the body has a measure of all the gifts. You say, okay, wait a second. Romans does tell us that we've been given gifts differing according to the grace that's given to us. It doesn't say that we all have different gifts. It says that we have been given gifts differing. And and I I will say, as we go through this list, by the way, the list is at the bottom of your page. Have have you read ahead yet? Have you seen the the list at the bottom of the page? Okay. Some of you are like, you're never going to get there. You're probably right. (laughs) It's good that you went ahead and read ahead. Here's the point. As we get into the book of Romans specifically, those seven things that are listed in your notes are actually commanded for every believer in Christ. Okay? So, so those seven gifts that are at the bottom of your page, it is interesting that all those are gifts for sure, but they're also instructed for every believer in Christ in the New Testament. And God would never instruct us to do something without the ability to actually do it. And so for the believer in Christ, you're, you're called to demonstrate all seven of those gifts in your life. Here's also a consideration. Jesus Christ himself had all the spiritual gifts. We know that. John chapter 3 and verse 34 says that, that concerning the Spirit of God, God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. In other words, Christ had obviously all the Spirit, and, and that meant he had all the gifts. You have all the Spirit of God. Paul himself demonstrated all seven of these gifts that we'll get to in just a few minutes. Oh, he also had the gifts mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The gifts of tongues, the the gifts of healing, the temporal sign gifts. Paul had all of them. Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. Paul is also a pattern for the New Testament believer. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 16, Paul says of himself, Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering, here it is, for a pattern to them who should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. So Paul himself is the pattern for the New Testament Christian. He is an example. He said in Romans 11 and verse 13 that, that he was the apostle of the Gentiles and that he magnified his office. So what's the answer? Well, the answer is you study and figure it out. I'm going to give you some compelling uh, reasons of why I think what I think, but, you know, the Word of God is the final authority. But let me just say this. Whether you land on the school of thought where, hey, we all have several different gifts and we don't have any of the other gifts, or whether you land in the school of thought that we all have a measure of all the gifts, whichever school you land in, it doesn't matter. Here's the point. There's no denying, number one, that every believer has gifts. And number two, there's no denying that every believer is commanded to serve with those gifts. So so wherever you land, it doesn't matter because God says you got them and you're called to use them. You're called to use them, okay? It it does say all members have not the same office. And, And that's an interesting phrase And I think it speaks to the responsibility. In other words, not everyone is, when you study the New Testament at least, there are two offices in the church. It's the office of a bishop and it's the office of a deacon. Those are the New Testament offices of of leadership or, or public ministry, if you will, 
Uh, Paul had an office of an apostle. He said he magnified that office in Romans 11 and verse 13. And here's the point. Not everybody is going to have the same level of responsibility with their gifts. But we all have a responsibility to use our gifts. We, we, we all, you may not ever stand and do what I do and, and you know, it, that doesn't mean that you're less important. And, and by, the, by the way, standing and doing what I do doesn't mean I'm more, than, more important than anybody. It, it's a different office, but it's the same spirit. And, and the gifts to teach and to, and to preach God's word, the gift to, to do what I do is no different than, than the gift Cody has, than the gift Colin has, than the gift Corey. We're all called to do what, what I'm doing. Take the word of God and invest it in the lives of other people. We're all called to do that. And, and so the responsibility, the office may be different, but man, the gift in this is the same. It's the same spirit. Okay, so, so here's what you need to get. If you hadn't figured this out yet, we're not doing an exhaustive study of those gifts that are in this chapter, by the way, uh, because the preceding stuff is really the, the most important part. But, but there are three basic lists of spiritual gifts in the New Testament. We're going to hit these really quick. There are three basic lists of spiritual gifts in the New Testament. The first list of gifts is found in Romans chapter 12. These are serving gifts. It is interesting that these are found in the book of Romans. It's also interesting that in this list of gifts, it does not include the sign gifts such as speaking in tongues, such as healing, that we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It is interesting also that there are seven gifts mentioned in Romans chapter 12. If you're a student of the Bible, seven is the number of completion or perfection in the Bible. That's how God works. It's complete, it's perfect when it's done seven. As Gentiles, we count one to ten, and then we start over. God counts one to seven. And then starts over. And so God's number of completion or perfection is seven. It does tell us in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 10 that we are complete in him, in Christ, which is the head of all principality and power. So it could be that these seven gifts in the book of Romans are really the definitive spiritual gifts applicable to the body of Christ today. By the way, the same book that also carries with it the doctrine of salvation. It is, the, it is the primary book on the doctrine of salvation. So, so possibly it's the primary book on the doctrine of spiritual gifts, by the way. Then you have the second list of gifts mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and these are the sign gifts, okay? And you do see some of the gifts in Romans chapter 12 show up in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, but you also don't see some of the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 show up in Romans 12, Okay? And, and if, if we have, do you guys have, have a few minutes? Can we look at verses 1 to 11? It says, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. That's a, that's a mouthful. <laughs> and there's a lot of ignorance about spiritual gifts today. A whole lot of ignorance. Paul writes and he says, you know that you were Gentiles carried away into these dumb idols, even as you were led. That makes you feel real good about being a Gentile, by the way. Wherefore, I give, unto you, uh, I, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, 
but the same God who worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given the, by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But these all work that one and self-same Spirit dividing to every man severally as he will. And if you were to skip down a little further in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, God tells you that some of those gifts were temporary. In other words, they, they were signed gifts for the nation of Israel to prove what was being taught was accurate. It, it validated the authority of the Word of God specifically to the nation of Israel. That's what it's for. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 8 says, Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall what? Cease. I mean, we, we still got churches today trying to speak in tongues, man. Well, I think they're ignorant of spiritual gifts. That was a legitimate gift for a time and for a season. But God says it's going to cease. Whether it be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away with. When you study the Bible, 1 Corinthians 14 tells us that tongues are a sign to those that don't believe. Which makes you wonder again why churches are full of it. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 22 says, Wherefore tongues are for a sign not to them that believe. Not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. 1 Corinthians 1 and 22 says that Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. So there's a whole list of sign gifts that were active and real for a time and for a season, but then ceased. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 28, and again, man, I know I'm hammering you with a lot of scripture today, but you need to get this. Same chapter that tongues and healing and miracles is mentioned. Verse 28 says, God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets. And it is interesting that God gives you a one, two, three. Thirdly, what? Teachers. He lists three giftedness that are, that are ordered very specifically. And then he says, after that, here's all the rest. Miracles, gifts of healing, helps, governments, diversity of his tongues, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles. And again, listen, we're not trying to do an exhaustive study of spiritual gifts this morning. I want you to understand that there are service gifts in the book of Romans. There are sign gifts in the book of 1 Corinthians. And then thirdly, there are shepherding gifts in the book of Ephesians. Shepherding gifts. Look at Ephesians 4, verses 8 to 12. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captive, captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Skip down to verse 11. Here are those gifts. He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body 
of Christ. Again, those gifts are different than what we find in Romans chapter 12. These are some offices that God has established in the church as a gift so that the body of Christ can be perfect, so that the body of Christ can be complete, so that the body of Christ can do the work of the ministry. That's why God gave us those gifts. Okay, the reason that's important, again, is because of what what list we're studying today. We're in the book of Romans. There are seven gifts. Every Christian is commanded to do these seven things. So let's look at them real quick and we're done. we got seven minutes. Maybe I can pull this off in seven minutes. Probably not. The gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy, and, and you don't have slides from here on out, so don't go to sleep. But you do have white space, so use it. The gift of prophecy is just the proclaiming of God's word. It's just the proclaiming of God's word. It says, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Okay, and, and, and so you need to know from 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20, verse 20, Peter writes and he says that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in the old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Before the canon of scripture was complete, the gift of prophecy was men being inspired by the Holy Spirit and speaking God's word. And then somebody caught those words out of the air and wrote them down. That, that's called inspiration, prophesying, and then inscripturation. Those words were written down. You say, well, is the gift of prophecy still active today? And I would say the gift of prophecy is active as it relates to the authority of the Word of God. In other words, there is no new revelation from God. As a matter of fact, Peter calls it the prophecy of the Scripture, something that has been scripted, something that's written down. Take your Bibles, turn to Revelation 22 real quick. This will help you stay awake. Revelation 22. Uh, the, the reason that prophecy is now confined, confined to the script or the scripture is because the revelation of God is complete. Revelation 22 and verse 18. John writes and he says, For I testify to every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this what? The prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the prophecy, excuse me, the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this, in this book. So my point is prophecy now, the gift of prophecy is confined to a book. It's proclaiming God's word based on the scripture, what's been scripted. The gift of God concerning prophecy is that we're to take the word of God, the scripture, and we're to, we're to prophesy, we're to preach it, we're to proclaim the gospel to the lost, we're to proclaim the word of God to the saints. It, it's, it's confined to a book. There is no more revelation in, in the sense that there's going to be anything added or taken away from this book, man. These are the ancient words of old. And this is it. 
And so prophecy is confined now to a book. Number two, ministry. Ministry just means service. And he says in verse 7, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. And, and, and some of you have misunderstood that verse because you're still waiting on ministering. Right? Let us wait on our ministering doesn't mean that we just sit around and wait for it to happen. It means that we're, we're continually attending upon a thing. When you go to a restaurant, you have a waiter. And that waiter is continually attending to you, making sure your drink is topped off, making sure your french fries are there, making sure your hamburger's there, making sure your kids are happy with the crayons. If you have a good waiter, they're providing continual attention, continual attention. And, and so as it relates to ministry, well, ministry is service, which demands continual attention, not just Sunday morning for an hour and a half. Not just Wednesday night for an hour. It, it demands continual attention. Acts chapter 10 and verse 7, it says, The angel which spake to Cornelius was departing. He called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. So, so we have to have, we've already been given the gift of prophecy in the sense that we're to proclaim God's word by the Spirit of God, by the grace of God to other people. We're called to minister by the grace of God empowered by the Spirit of God. So what that means is that we were to have a willingness to serve whoever, whenever, wherever. Well, I'll serve, but I'm not going to serve in that ministry with those people. Well, I'll serve, but not at that time. Well, I'll serve, but not in that place. Really? Is that really abundant grace working out in your life right there? I mean, is that God's unmerited favor really working itself out? Well, the problem is we, we wait on ministering, but we, we don't wait biblically. We don't continually attend to it. We just wait. And the sad thing is that in most churches, there's a lot of members of the body of Christ that just aren't ministering. They're just not ministering. And when they do, they're not given continual attention to it. Now, I don't know about you, but I think Jesus Christ is worth the ministry. And, and I think your salvation and your redemption through his shed blood, well, that's, that's worth any amount of attention I can give it. And where's the willingness to serve in the church? You see, we, we've changed it to serve me. I come to church to get served. I come to church to get what I want to get out of it, what I can get out of it, what my kids can get out of it. Well, the problem is you're never going to get what you're really looking for because what you're looking for is Christ. And, and what you're really looking for is for the Spirit of God and the grace of God to work in and through your life to minister to other people. And until you take the step of obedience to trust that God has given you a ministry, he's given you the gift of ministry, and until you give continual attention to that, 
you're never really going to get what you're looking for. We probably should end there, but I'm not done. <laughs> Teaching, the ability to cause others to learn. And, and the same let us applies not only to ministering, but it but, but, but it applies to teaching. In other words, let us wait on teaching. It's, it's that continual attention. Now again, the Holy Spirit is the teacher of God's word. We can't do that in our flesh. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 13 tells us that the Holy Ghost teaches while we compare spiritual things with spiritual things. We're called to teach faithful men. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2. Women are to teach according to Titus chapter 2 verses 3 to 5. You say, well, I can't teach. Well, you can't, but the Spirit of God can and you can be discipled, and then you can disciple other people. You say, I can't do that. You can't, but the Spirit of God can, and the Word of God can. God's given you the gift to teach. Man, you're, you're to teach your children. Men, you're to teach your wives. It would probably help some of our homes if our wives would go home and ask their husbands the Bible questions instead of the pastor. And maybe, and maybe he'll open the Bible and say, you know what, I don't know the answer, but, but there's, there's a book full of ancient words, and by the grace of God, I'm going to go find it. The fourth gift is exhortation. And that's what I'm doing right now, whether you can see it or not. <laughs> exhortation is urging others to respond <laughs> to the Word of God. <laughs> you see how that worked? Again, exhortation is to be something continually attended upon. You know, Barnabas is a great example. In Acts chapter 11 and verse 22, it says that he exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. Hebrews 10 tells us that we're to assemble ourselves together. And as we're doing that, we're, we're to exhort one another and so much more. In other words, we need exhortation so that when we hear God's word, we're challenged to live it out by faith. You need people in your life to say, man, bro, are you living out what you know from the Word of God? If you're discipling somebody, listen, you're not taking them through a set of lessons for information. You're taking it through the, the lessons for transformation. Hey, bro, here's what the discipleship lesson says. Man, do you agree with God that that's true? And then are you living that out in your life? That's exhortation. I'm urging you, man. I'm begging you to respond to God's word. Number five, giving. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. You know, when we minister, we give our time. When we give, we give our possessions. And, and God says concerning giving, let me, let me just keep it simple. I'm going to make it simple for you. You ready? If you got some white space, you can write, write this down. This will help everybody. Here it is. I'm going to keep it real simple. God owns it all. <laughs> is that simple enough? <laughs> That's simple enough. God owns it all. And listen, when we, when we are called to give, we've got the Spirit of God. We've got the Word of God. Keep it simple, man. Give your possessions for the ministry's sake. Some people would say, well, I give my time, so I'm not going to give my possessions. And some people will say, well, I give my possessions, so I don't have to give my time. Both are in error. Both are in error. We have to have balance in both. God wants to see all seven gifts accomplished in our life. Rule, uh, number six is ruling. He that ruleth with diligence. And again, 
Uh, if you had two more hours, we, we would go through these extensively. But, but ruling is the spiritual ability to lead and to organize and to motivate and inspire and administer. You know, when we study this thing of ruling out in the Bible, it tells us in Proverbs 25 that we're to rule our own self, our own spirit. Proverbs 25 and verse 28 says, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that's broken down and without walls. We're called to rule ourselves. We're called to rule our home, men. One that ruleth well his house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. God's called us to rule well. We're called to rule the church. Hebrews 13, verse 17 says, Obey them that have the rule over you. Well, nobody rules over me but Jesus. Okay, well, I, I get it, man. Yes. But he's also put people in some offices. 1 Timothy 5, verse 17, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. Man, whoever is our pastor, whoever is our shepherd, we need to submit to them. We, we need to follow their leadership. If we are in a position of rulership, and we all are, we need to rule well. We need to rule well. And then the last one is mercy. You say, I need this after that message, Jay. You should have started with this. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Showing mercy is just a spiritual ability to show compassion and understanding to those in need. Man, giving, not giving people what they deserve. Having, having cheerfulness and compassion and understanding. By the way, Ephesians 2 and verse 4 says that God is rich in mercy. Now, now we're all thankful for God's mercy. Let's have enough mercy where we can be thankful for each other's mercy, right? Let, let, let's, let's have mercy with cheerful, cheerfulness, not begrudging, but in full manifestation of the character of Christ. Okay, let me close with this, because I know you're done, and, and you're, you don't have any blanks left, so you can't pay attention. All right. Concerning these spiritual gifts, and by the way, there's seven. You would do well to study those seven. Concerning spiritual gifts... God has given them to us by his grace. God has given them to us so that we change our thinking about us and him. And God's giving them to us for service. If we don't, if we don't serve, what are we doing as children of God? Man, listen, listen, listen. I, again, man, I, I, I want to exhort you. I don't want to beat anybody down today. We need to give some attention, man, to these things. We need to wait on them. We need, we need to just continually give attention to these seven things as the body of Christ, as Christians that have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. It's time for, for Sunday morning Christianity to end and for Wednesday night Christianity to end. We need to get serious about what God has given us because, by the way, at the judgment seat of Christ, we're going to give an account of everything we've been given and every opportunity we had. And listen, one second into the judgment seat of Christ, many of us are going to have clarity as we look back over our life and realize, I wish I'd have done it different. One second into the judgment seat of Christ. And I'm not trying to use that point to, to belittle or belabor you at all. But the judgment seat of Christ is just as real as those seven gifts. Just as real. And so God's gifted us because we have a work to do.
We have a work to do. And so it's time to get serious. All right. We're